And later, the Wild Runner answers nature's call in the Character Creation Forge. Oh, God, that's so bad. <laughs> the Wild Runner leaves no stone unturned. <laughs> from the Mundangerous Grey Havens in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 51 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about playing one of the original fantasy races, elves. But first, the party takes an unexpected fall in the Morning Glory campaign. And later, the Wild Runner embraces her primal instincts in the Character Creation Forge. So this is the final day of voting for the Ennies. As we've mentioned on the show already, we were nominated for Best Podcast this year. To our surprise. Yes, <laughs> which means we have to be obnoxious and beg you to vote for us. But this is the last time because this is literally the last day. Yeah, so you have probably less than 12 hours by the time you're hearing this to actually vote. It closes at midnight on the East Coast. Which means that if you haven't done so already, please go to any-awards.com, E-N-N-I-E-awards.com. Scroll down to Best Podcast and select the number one under Total Party Thrill. Or follow the link in the show notes. So, Ishan, what's going on in the Morning Glory campaign? Well, last week, the party had tracked Merrick Stakaneth and the Lord of Blades to the top of a tower in Sharn. So, Merrick Stakaneth, we have learned, is the last living head of the dragon-marked house, House Caneth. And the Lord of Blades is a... Giant, bladed, monstrous, warforged. The current bearer of the skull of Raltulkesh. The Rage of War. That the party needs to kill in order to take that skull and then create an apparatus that can kill immortal beings. Yes. However, standing in the party's way was a radiant idol, a fallen angel. Now, they did battle with her and defeated her, but then Merricks and the Lord of Blades boarded an airship. The party heard a loud explosion far below them, and the entire tower began to lean. At this point, it basically shifted into a puzzle-slash-skill challenge, because during the battle with the Radiant Idol, the party had realized that they could neither teleport nor fly in any way while they were around. Or actually, they knew that they couldn't teleport or fly. They didn't necessarily know why it was, and then when she died, that effect didn't go away. So they didn't know if it was an effect of the area that they were in. The tower begins to fall. It doesn't fall straight down. It begins to lean a little bit and now they need to figure out a way not to die yeah so if you want to know how every character approaches life (laughs) just look at what they do when a tower begins to collapse below them (laughs) so in 5e we've talked about this before falling damage is actually pretty lackluster it caps out at 20d6 and you guys were what level 16 yeah i think so so that's i think average 77 damage all of you even like the rogue could tank that So when I was trying to plan this obstacle of a tower falling and then being trapped in it, I needed to figure out what was some other way that would actually potentially hurt them. So the real threat was being crushed by the tower. So they were inside it, it falls, they take the falling damage, but then hundreds of tons of rubble then fall on top of them and there's no maximum damage there. None of us were clever to just go on top so nothing would land on us. Yeah, that's true. You would have to get out and then write it down, right? So that would have been some interesting skill checks. Yeah. Oh, well. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) Given three years to think about it. (laughs) So I planned about three rounds before the entire tower hit the ground. So the party had about three rounds to do something to get out of this. And I didn't have a specific way in mind for the PCs to survive. Like at this level, they have so many different options. It's just sort of up to them to come up with something plausible. And they all came up with something mostly different. Some of them adhering to normal physics and some of them bending them a bit. (laughs) So the smarter members of the party, while attempting to maintain their balance as the tower crumbled and fell around them, they all plunged hundreds of feet, were trying to figure out exactly why they couldn't teleport or fly. And they narrowed it down to the presence of the Radiant Idol. It seemed like even though she was dead, the effect was still present. At that point, maybe one round in, everyone decided, okay, I guess we need to get out of here or at least away from this corpse. Mm -hmm. And of course, everyone had different capabilities. I believe the monk, Bastion, simply used his step of the wind. 
and ran down the outside of the tower. Right, because you can walk on vertical surfaces. Yeah. <laughs> so with the tower getting a shallower and shallower angle as it fell, he simply raced down the entire way, leaving all of the rest of you to die. As Bastion does. Kalik, the paladin, pulled a Spider-Man Hulk-type maneuver. As chunks of the tower started to break off, he leapt from chunk to chunk <laughs> to manage his momentum on his way down. Don't think that's possible in real life, but don't let that bother you. <laughs> he was able to slow himself, and he positioned himself so the tower didn't fall directly on him. Exactly. Bahar, the rogue, had boots of spider climb, so he just walked on the wall, followed the monk. He also had a few levels of shadow monk, so he wasn't quite as fast as Bastion, who was all monk. So he was able to get away on the outside of the tower and then shadow step away. Yeah. My favorite, I think, was Emery who didn't really have that many mobility powers except for, you know, her dimension door, which she usually relied on to get out of these situations. Yeah, so her solution was <laughs> she couldn't do anything about the fall, but she didn't want to be crushed, so force cage at the last second. <laughs> right, she was very smart, so she made intelligence checks to time the casting of the force cage for the last moment so that when she landed, she would just smash into the force cage and then the entire tower would collapse on top of it but of course it doesn't hurt the force cage in any way right and then she could simply dimension door out of there right <laughs> so she did slam into the ground full force right but she was cool she was cool i'm all right lou was inside the force cage with emery right and bran simply took a running head start to the window and dove out and then used his wings to fly <laughs> because he was a dragon sorcerer who had wings the other thing I had thought of that the party didn't end up doing was disintegrating the body. Yeah, I don't know that any of us had disintegrate. We didn't really take super offensive high-level spells. It wasn't really your style. No. Yeah. If any of you had taken disintegrate, I think it really would have been, I kind of want to dig my way out of this place, and oh, yeah. disintegrate does it automatically. <laughs> right. I think that's what would have happened. Right. I like the utility of it. Yeah. <laughs> you got a few tons of rubble above you. You're sitting in a force cage. It's one way out. <laughs> so the party is... For the most part, worse for wear. Many of them have fallen about 1,500 feet to the ground. Yeah. So they decide to regroup. So they return to... The bar that Maven DeCaneth ran. Because Brand, of course, saved his teleport. Yes, that's why he didn't teleport away. He waited for everybody else. And he had also, I think, swiped like a pint glass from the tavern that she ran. Yeah, he was always nicking something so that he could return to a location. While they rested up, Maven sent out feelers found out what Merricks was doing. He was meeting with the Sharn City Council and accusing the party of destroying the tower, killing 6,000 citizens of Sharn, including all of those bakers and clerks and children that they had passed and was having the party declared terrorists. And we'll find out how the party got their revenge next week. So this is the third installment of our series on playing non-human characters. And this time, we're talking about elves. Love them or hate them, and nearly everyone <laughs> feels one way or the other. I think we have one of each here. <laughs> elves have always been important to fantasy. Yeah, modern fantasy particularly. I mean, since Tolkien, they've just been one of the most popular non-human races, and they're a core part of RPGs. They've been in Dungeons & Dragons as long as we've had Dungeons & Dragons. I think one of the reasons people love them is that outwardly, they look really similar to humans. I mean, but hotter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Like, yeah. they look like us, but they're just better. <laughs> right. So, like, we just started with them at 12 and right. kept going. <laughs> but their entire outlook is otherworldly in some way. It can even be alien. Now, Papa Tolkien made them an ideal race. They were immortal. They were beautiful. They were effortlessly powerful and expertly skilled. I think to him, they were symbols of a better age that had already passed by. And they had all of this wisdom and knowledge and just information that the halflings, you know, the reader inserts, did not. So as a reader, you can't help but idolize them. They're basically gods amongst men. For the humans, both in the story and then reading the story, the elves are something that they yearn to become. In a lot of ways, elves were sort of representative of something that the human race could aspire to. The men of Numenor were blessed with longer lives, you know, 250 years, more similar to elves. They were stronger throughout old age, like elves. They had elven knowledge. They spoke elvish. Of course, these days, elven PCs have to be balanced for group play. 
you can't usually just have one PC race that's just better than every other PC race. Unless that PC race is a class called Elf. <laughs> You're playing original <laughs> D&D. So these days, Elven PCs in role-playing games have flaws, which, like we talked about last week, makes them more interesting. But when you are playing an Elf, I feel like it really helps to remember the roots that they have in fiction. Your birthright is perfection. And whether you choose to embrace it, whether you reject it, or if you fall tragically short, is really up to you. So yes, Ishan just said that your elves should be haughty. (laughs) (laughs) Or totally reject that, right? But elves, I think, should have been taught in their youth to be haughty, that they are better than others. Yeah. This comes down to the same question that we ask every time we talk about a race. For all of these traits that we're talking about, are you typical? Are you atypical? Do you embrace it? Do you reject it? Where do you stand? But for the most part, when we're talking about culture or physiology with these non-human races, there is a standard. And you either are the standard or you deviate from it. So I think one of the most core standards of elves is a bonus to dexterity. They're always treated as these lithe and graceful creatures. Yeah, it feeds into almost all of these stereotypical abilities that they have. Great archers, excellent with finesse weapons. They play harps, stuff like that. (laughs) They look down on clumsy humans. Yeah. So do halflings, but they have dex bonuses too. (laughs) Well, halflings look up on clumsy humans. (laughs) In older editions, of course, elves had a penalty to their constitution. So elves are often treated as frail or not sickly, but just not as sturdy as, especially compared to like their rivals, the dwarves. Or their other rivals, the orcs. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is in direct opposition to the way that Tolkien portrayed them. So just keep that in mind. You know, what kind of elf are you going to be? Yeah. Even what kind of elf does your system require you to be? Right. right? Like a Shadowrun elf is different from a D&D 5e elf. And in Star Trek, they're called Vulcans. Right. (laughs) And in 40k, they're called Eldar. (laughs) Are Eldar constitutionally weaker than humans in 40k? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have, you know, suits and stuff. But sure, yeah. yeah. They are. Elves also have dark vision or low light vision. So they kind of have cat's eyes, right? They're just slightly better than humans at seeing in the dark. So they can embrace it. Yeah, 5e has gotten rid of low light vision. Just everything that had it before has dark vision. Or superior dark vision. <laughs> Which, great. <laughs> so elves are fine in the pitch black. In the lore, though, they tend to be very happy in starlight or moonlight. Right. Which is why often, you know, elves have deities tied to the moon. Generally, keen senses are part of the elven background. But I think this really ties into their fey ancestry, that connection to nature. And I know that fey also have a magical connection to nature. So you're kind of blending those two. Right. So whether you're talking about the kind of elf that has an affinity for magic and wears robes and lives in like a fairy castle or the kind of elf who lives in essentially an Ewok village high in the canopy of a tree, that fey ancestry expresses itself as a sensitivity, keen senses, and it can be off-putting when dealing with other races. Elves notice the smells that other races don't and other races notice that the elves are noticing things. An elven musician can tell that a finely made human lute is just not quite totally in tune, (laughs) even though the bard has been playing it for 50 years. Right, right. (laughs) And that's just annoying if you're a very good human bard. And it's just annoying when you're an elf who can't help but notice that they're really bad at this. And probably also can't help point it out. Yeah, because, you know, you can't sleep. Right. Well, you can't trance. Right. (laughs) I'm trying to meditate. So that's another big thing is that elves don't sleep in 5th edition. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where that comes from. I believe it comes from the two towers when Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas are chasing after the two hobbits and they run for three days, day and night. And Legolas just sort of trances. I think Tolkien calls it that reverie or that twilight that elves do rather than dream. So he just sort of runs and his eyes are open, but he's kind of sleeping. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. (laughs) really mining every last word of that book aren't we (laughs) so the trance means that elves have a lot of time to think but not a lot of time to listen to their subconscious 
right? Part of that trance is that they're partially awake. They're aware. They're having higher level thoughts. That means they're never helpless, but it also means they never get to turn off. Right. A side effect of it is that they're immune to sleep spells, which I like to think that almost every low-level elven mage just casually uses sleep spells because, like, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just going to pinpoint a sleep here. All of you, like, whatever, you fall asleep, that's fine. But I knocked out three goblins. That's cool, yeah? I like to imagine that's how elves fight with their human spouses. <laughs> it's like, you know, I don't want to deal with you right now. Just go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's to help with their insomnia. Yeah. <laughs> when an elf puts you to sleep, do you wake up in the middle of the night, like sleepwalk over and just eat all of the food from the pantry <laughs> all my lembas <laughs> that could literally feed an army right <laughs> so you mentioned spouses but elves were the only non-humans that tolkien had fall in love or interbreed with humans so i think that was the beginning of this sort of trope of elvish fecundity at least it seems like elves can breed with everything out there well humans actually can breed with everything out there that's part of human versatility <laughs> maybe that's racism assuming that the other half has to be human i mean it could be but if you think about all of the subraces of elves honestly there are too many to list there are elves with wings there are elves that can breathe underwater there are high elves sun elves moon elves wood elves wild elves I'm going to stop there because there's just too many. I mean, I'm sure there's elves for every terrain and every biome. Yeah, no, there totally is. I will not be surprised at all if we start getting elven subraces that just fit every particular kind of niche. You know, ah, the wood elf. Uh, it's a plus two to strength because I wanted to play a strong elf. Spoiler for the character creation forge. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about elven culture. In 5e and in previous editions, they have always tended toward chaos and good which is really just showing you that chaos is poorly named yeah. <laughs> as an alignment right because it's it's really like freedom that right they're free spirited right and mostly they don't want to hurt other people or each other like live and let live yeah well they've got a long time to have a guilty conscience <laughs> right so <laughs> and also they don't need a whole lot to survive elves seem to be able to just like hang out outside in Lord of the Rings, Snow didn't really hurt elves. Yeah. They don't seem to get dirty in the woods. Maybe they all have prestidigitation. Maybe that's their high elf cantrip. It would make sense. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of cantrips, all elves are inherently magical. So the magic that other creatures have as magic is just... I mean, what are you talking about? I'm just an elf. We don't call it magic because it's just part of us. You calling it magic shows how you don't really understand it. Or yourself. Exactly. Maybe in a few hundred years, oh, you'll be dead. Right. <laughs> Maybe you can learn our secrets. <laughs> ha. Ha. You could never learn our secrets. <laughs> this idea of knowing yourself comes across in many different ways in elven culture. For example, when elves reach adulthood, you know, like around age 100, they typically pick their own names, which I think is one of the reasons that elves usually have dumb names. Uh, extremely dumb names, but I think they pick their <laughs> names a lot sooner than 100. Like, I think they pick their names at 12. Oh, because they're so bad? <laughs> because they're so awful. Greenleaf? Right. Starflower? Yeah. It's like they just looked around and, like, made a haiku their name. Two natural things, squish them together, or add more vowels. Right. <laughs> Something Latinate, more vowels. Possibly apostrophes. <laughs> so please, don't give your L's bad names. No, just embrace it. L's <laughs> have dumb names. Yeah, go with it. It's a nice flaw. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> flaw named himself also you have keen senses no one else can pronounce it quite accurately right that's true <laughs> it's like picking your xbox gamer tag when you're 12 and now you're 25 you're stuck with it <laughs> <laughs> going alternating caps and regular <laughs> not smart man not smart i can't tell if you're shouting right speaking of not being an adult till 100 i think now's the time to talk about the lifespan because that affects so much about the way you play an elf, the way that an elf interacts with an adventuring party or the world or their goals, especially as a character. So every elf has had a long past and has a long future ahead of them. Whether right. your setting and your brand of elves live for 100 years or they live for forever, right? Immortal elves. They have a whole wealth of experience to draw from that 
you can't even really wrap your head around, right? If you think about it, of course elves are aloof. How could they not be? You'd have to be an insane elf not to be aloof. Right. I think this gets touched on a little bit in Lord of the Rings as well, but like, what does that do to you? How do you interact with humans if you're interacting with the great-great-grandchildren of the first human that you met, right? You have seen six generations of this human family pass in the timeline that you had maybe one brood of children, right? Or like carved one loot. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Your whole worldview is just so tainted by the fact that you will see everything that you love die unless it's elven. Don't love non-elven things. Yeah. We touched on this a bit in the dwarf episode when dwarves live 250, maybe 300 years. But an elf has triple, three times, or an infinite number more years than that, potentially. It's magnified. It's exacerbated. The dwarf may know six generations. The elf, an older elf, could know a hundred generations of humans. Yeah, the elf could literally be the historian of the realm and have lived through the entire history of a country. Right. If you think about... 5e elves who live 750 maybe a thousand years if they're lucky in terms of the morning glory campaign we were playing in 998 yk well the silver flame the religion was founded in 299 there are elves alive in the setting right now who were there when the silver flame was founded (laughs) right yeah like of course they don't usually join the silver flame like it's pretty it's a pretty new religion it's basically a cult right i mean it would be like today imagine if there was a group of people alive who had seen Jesus Christ walk the earth, had seen the prophet Muhammad walk the earth, had met Buddha. <laughs> like, Yeah, I hung out with that guy. Yeah, like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, what does that do to your faith, right? <laughs> like, what does that do to history? How do you grapple with, like, Greek mythology if mm-hmm. you've got somebody who was there and says, oh, yeah, I mean, Poseidon wasn't a great guy. I'm glad he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> He had that weird horse thing. At, I don't know what it was. Yeah. Or he's sitting there going, yeah, I mean, they they really put a lot of faith into storms. <laughs> <laughs> the Buddha, like all humans, stank. Yeah. <laughs> so one way to deal with that is realizing that the moment that you're in is one of many, many more that you're going to have. And the attachments that you have, no matter how intense they are, are ultimately fleeting. Because even two elves, if you have forever or, you know, 600 years in front of you, there's an excellent chance that maybe you're going to get tired of each other, even if you're madly in love right now. Ugh, yeah, that would be terrible. (laughs) I'm going to have to go adventuring just to get out of the house. Yeah, oh, I might die. Don't wait for me. Yeah. (laughs) Of course, on the flip side, an attached elf is very likely to be extremely attached because this isn't a thing that you do. Like, when an elf falls in love with a human... Or, you know, maybe a dwarf or a tree, whatever. You don't have a lot of time with them. So you want to squeeze as much as you can out of the paltry 70 years that they've got. Yeah, I feel like this is how you get evil elves. Oh, oh right? yeah, it's totally. Like they, they're twisted by that bitterness. Yeah, how many true loves can you lose before you're like, eh, time to be a lich? Or you truly fall in love with them and you're like, yes, I must master necromancy. I must know the <laughs> secrets to keep my beloved alive. <laughs> I've turned myself into a monster. (laughs) It was worth it. Right. (laughs) That's one of my favorite things about elves who aren't immortal, but just live a very long time is there's this trope of, you know, thousand year old elves who are like, no, I'm losing so much if I die. Right. You know, they're just so committed to living on as long as possible. Well, we'll talk about that when we get to reasons for adventuring, but Hmm. that is one of the problems that I always have with elf culture as the way it's presented is just, why would you take that risk? You know, if you're a hundred years old going, looking at, you know, the next 500 years, that is really risky. (laughs) Like you're, you're giving up a lot of life in front of you if you were to die taking up some foolhardy quest. Yeah, you should just stay at home and let compound interest do its work. The two most powerful forces in the universe, (laughs) evil and compound interest. (laughs) They're the same thing. (laughs) Wait, what? No, compound interest is good. (laughs) It's greater good. Literally, you have more good tomorrow than you had today. (laughs) So we touched on this a bit earlier, but nature is also typically very important to elves. Yeah, even those elves that don't live in the forest, right? High elves, sun or moon elves in Forgotten Realms who 
basically live like nobles, right? In 4E, they were Eladrin. They still have this tie to the natural world. Yeah, and if you think about it, that makes a little bit of sense because they're so long-lived that nature is really the only thing that matches them. The toils of men will soon fade away, but the primeval forest lives on. Trees? Trees will still be here. Yeah. I mean, unless the dwarves have their way. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) In the lore, they tend to be less affected. Their hair doesn't get ruffled by high wind. They have flowers in their hair that never seem to go bad. They smell good all the time. Never seem to be out of supply no matter where they go. They're never bad gardeners. No elf has a brown thumb. Right. (laughs) (laughs) This mixes all together with religion as well. There are some standard elven gods in Dungeons & Dragons, right? There's Corallon, Sahanan. But I think of all of the common races, elves are probably the most likely to not have any kind of deity or religion at all. Yeah, or they have deities of very odd concepts. Things like deities of the arts. Like, whereas human deities are like war or love or magic. So the chaos gods. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Elves, they have time to be like, oh, how about those leisure pursuits? Yeah, like, they're all about the platonic ideal. Right. right? (laughs) You really need some time to build up civilization before humans are like, huh, maybe there should be a god of gambling. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But that means, I think, that if your elf is a religious one if your elf venerates a deity there should be a driving reason behind that what happened in their past to cause them to actually put their faith in this thing because humans usually turn to deities or they call out for divine sucker because things are awful there are horrible diseases or they're dying in war but the stereotypical npc elf lives a pretty awesome life no things are terrible i have not yet mastered the chromatic scale on every (laughs) instrument in existence (laughs) They keep inventing new ones every 200 years. I am only the third best painter in my (laughs) enclave. I must kill the others. Oh, kinslaying. Hashtag first elf problems. (laughs) Speaking of kinslaying, elves also have weapon training. It's one of their inherent things that they get. They're always tied to the longsword, which is interesting because it's not a finesse weapon in their dex-based race. Yeah, they get the bows and they also get the short sword, but the longsword, they're just always usually pretty bad with it. Yeah. Since it's not finesse, but they all learn it anyway, that really speaks to tradition. Why are we learning the longsword? I'm not particularly good with this. You learn the longsword because we learn the longsword. And because you have a hundred years to work on it. (laughs) Why is my proficiency bonus still only plus two? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like dwarves, you will never meet an elf that lacks martial training. They will always have some. A small community of farmers, they can always pull out their longbows or their short swords and fend off a pack of wolves or encroaching orcs. Or a human adventuring party who's overstaying their welcome. Yep. Always hide your axes when you walk through the woods that you don't know. Yeah, they tend to frown upon this. Rude to trees, you know. Light spells much better than fire. Right. Also, stop smelling. (laughs) Stay downwind of them. And then, of course, elves have a cultural identity around their own aloofness. In some settings, they are literally tricksters. They prey upon people who don't have their sort of dispassionate worldview. Yeah. I will say, so this aloofness that elves have been blessed or cursed with culturally, they have this reputation, and I think a lot of people play them as kind of emo. Oh, yeah. That elf <laughs> is definitely wearing a trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> and probably carrying a katana. <laughs> and I will say... Okay, if you want to play your elf that way, that's totally fine. But try to remember that the reason that Tolkien's elves are all kind of like a little bit sad and they've got this ennui is because their entire society is dying out, right? Magic is fading and it is becoming the time of men. This is not the world for them anymore. You're seeing the elves at the end of their civilization. You know, they're all heading to the Grey Havens. They're going to sail away in boats, which basically is suicide. Yeah. So... In other settings, this may not be applicable, and you might want to try playing an elf in a different way, particularly if it's like a setting like Forgotten Realms where they're still at the height of their civilization. They still have all of their magic, and they can potentially live for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years and build flying cities. So that's true, but I mean, I think that emo reputation is also fair in non-immortal type elf settings, right? I think it does make sense for an older elf to have that same kind of despondency around approaching the end of his life. 
as an adventurer, you're taking on a lot of risk. So if you're trying to do one last thing towards the end of your life expectancy, right, maybe that's when you take up adventuring to try and live a little before it's all over. <laughs> Only old elves become adventurers. Yeah, but <laughs> but the flip side is, you know, if you've been alive for 700 years and you know that you're in your last few years of life, that last few years is actually 50 more years. <laughs> so that's going to be a long kind of period of that emo depressedness you're going to run into elves that are that old and they're going to be that way for a long time it makes sense that most of the elves you run into are going to feel that way they're grumpy because they haven't spent those final 50 years learning the dulcimer right (laughs) so many poems i haven't (laughs) recited yet (laughs) i like the idea that if old elves are grumpy then young elves you know 250 years old or so are super happy like full of life your whole life is ahead of you right like you're basically 25 years old for 600 years yeah i wonder about that (laughs) i could also see it working where you're super risk averse right you see what happens to everybody around you how terrifying death is to them people who've lived a long time and you're like oh i don't want to go through that that sounds awful i want to grow old and miserable these are all great ways to play enough oh everyone here is old and miserable I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to leave. Yeah. You know, I'm going to hang out with these humans because they know how to live. Right. <laughs> humans. I live with humans for a hundred years. They all stink. <laughs> and they all die. Why did she turn into a dwarf? <laughs> Elves don't die. They just slowly grow into dwarves. They, they get hunched over. <laughs> they finally grow facial hair. Yeah, it's been working on this five o'clock shadow my entire life. <laughs> so what about elven family ties? I think a bit like we talked about disposition, the way an elf approaches family is probably going to go in one of two extremes. You know, you have children and then they grow up in about 50 to 75 years. And then you have hundreds of years where you're basically peers. Yeah. And so you could have a really genial relationship where you get along. But at the same time, it's quite possible that they just annoy the hell out of you because if you think your parents are set in their ways. Yeah. <laughs> Especially free-spirited type elves, right? Oh, man. Yeah, I can also see in certain environments, and especially the more like, primal elves, having like a intense tribal or clan kind of structure as well, mm-hmm. where the family is, is a basic unit of the community, but that the community is very tight-knit. And a lot of times their community is built around family and it's also built around an area, right? They protect this forest. This is their forest. One trip we haven't really talked about is that elves don't have many children. There aren't often new elves. Yeah. Part of that reason is just story-wise. Like if they bred like rabbits, you'd just have you know, elves millions everywhere. of immortal elves, yeah. right? <laughs> we'd have to kill. We'd have to kill elves left it's, and right. It's the elf culling. Yeah, <laughs> it's open season on elves. It's too bad they're good at everything, <laughs> right? But that does mean that those familial ties there are there are fewer of them, particularly fewer than say like a dwarven clan or a human tribe, which pops out as many babies as possible because most of them are going to die before they turn five. Yeah, infant mortality not a major family problem for elves. But when you are so long-lived and there aren't that many of you, reputation, I think, becomes super important. You know, the things that you've done, everybody knows what you've done. Everybody knows who you are. There's no way to get away from it, except maybe adventure. Yeah. It's really hard to live things down when you're an elf. Right. (laughs) So it's good to go far from home. Where if they hear your exploits, it's because they're really good exploits. So when you do leave your community and go hang out with non-elves what's it like how is the elf going to interact with other pcs i think a lot of that depends on where is the elf in their life you know if you're a human and you're in an adventuring party it's probably your first adventuring party but if you're an elf it could be your 10th because the others died out for an elf you're probably going to have this sort of sardonic gallows humor kind of approach to those humans because You've seen lots of adventuring parties like this that didn't quite make it. Right. (laughs) Right. Maybe it's your 40th. Yeah. Because some of them last six months. Or even if you're successful and you, you know, strike it rich and you're just relaxing, you're going to see all of those people spend all their money and die. And then all their children die. Right. Mm -hmm. But if it is your first adventuring party, I think you're going to bring a lot of naivety to the party, right? Yeah. Because if you're a 100-year-old elf, you're basically a 19-year-old human. Right. You might also 
be steeped in elven tradition. So while you can't draw from lots of adventuring experience, you can draw from lots of tales of others' adventuring experience. <laughs> My grandfather, 3,000 years ago. Right, exactly. You also want to think about what are the stakes. Like, what does it take to actually get an elf out of their home and into a very risky proposition like an adventuring party? Yeah, a goal we always say usually works is, hey, the world is at stake, so you better get out there. Oh my gosh, I'm going to be here for the next 500 years. If we don't <laughs> save the world right now, it's going to be terrible. Right, I better come with you to make sure you don't screw it up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How about elves and half-elves? That gets tricky. I think a lot of it depends on what are half-elves in your setting. Are they a hybrid? Uh, are they a true-breeding, totally separate race? And how does your particular elf feel about humans? Half-elves are always sort of caught between two worlds, not really a human and not really an elf, right? So an elf is going to look at that and either identify with it or perpetuate it. It could be a point of view where you want to change that. It could also be a point of view where, yeah, you know what? You're wrong. <laughs> you should not <laughs> exist. <laughs> and you shouldn't borrow our name. <laughs> You're a half-human. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How about orcs? I have a hard time thinking of why an elf would get along with an orc without a very good reason or without a long history of prior relationships that went well with orcs. If it's an elf and it's their first orc that they've actually spent much time with, I cannot imagine it going well. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on where orcs come from. Like Tolkien orcs, it makes no sense whatsoever. But if orcs are just a particularly brutal race. Like in a large metropolitan city. Yeah. Orcs hanging out, you know, they wear nice suits. Yeah. I mean, same way that you would treat like a shifter or a warforged, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I think also the way that an elf treats an orc is going to depend on how religious that elf is. If you're in a traditional fantasy setting and, you know, Coralon who has this huge beef with Grumsh. Right, right. And then you've also got dwarves and the long-running elf-dwarf rivalry. It's like the East Coast-West Coast of fantasy. But remember, in the end, they come together and become the best of friends. Right. So, build toward that, I guess? They learn to overcome their differences in both disposition and stature. Through killing orcs. Right. <laughs> Primarily. All right. So, you talked about this a little bit. Why would an elf potentially sacrifice hundreds of years and actually go out adventuring? Boredom, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Wanderlust. You know, it's just like, ugh. Am I going to sit around here for another hundred years or am I going to go do something with my midlife? And maybe if the elf would normally learn a new instrument, maybe the only way to do that is to do it outside of the small insular community. Yeah, I mean, that pursuit of knowledge, and knowledge would be very valuable to elves because they're very good at preserving it, right? By mm -hmm. living so long, they don't lose knowledge very much as a culture. So anything that you can find out that's new is incredibly valuable. Like getting a PhD. Yeah. A tiny, tiny scrap. Right. That's new. Yeah. PhD. <laughs> I think a very compelling reason for elves to go adventuring uh, appeals to their hubris, right? The elves are the only ones who can help in this situation. We're the only ones who have the solution. Oh, yeah. If you've got to recruit an elf, you are totally appealing to, you're the only ones who can do it. We're so right. helpless without you. <laughs> Please, Obi-Wan. Right. <laughs> you're our only hope. <laughs> and then on the flip side, elves just have more to lose. That long life blurs the line between an immediate and an existential threat. The elf has to live through the awfulness if things turn really bad. Yeah, so if a prophecy says that the Orcish Horde will bring a thousand years of darkness to the land, well, an elf and their children are going to have to stick around and live through it. They don't have the luxury of dying in the first 20 years. <laughs> right. Slavery is the worst. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so when they are out adventuring... What kind of classes are really suitable for an elf? Uh, elf, obviously, right? That's the best class for an elf. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but if you want to play a newer game, oh, fine. I guess you got to pick maybe a fighter. I really like in fifth edition and later editions of D&D in general that elves can be good fighters, right? In 3.5, you were pretty terrible at it. Yeah, unless you wanted to be an archer. Yeah, exactly. But then if you want to be an archer, you wouldn't be a fighter. That's true. There are also natural rogues. Yeah, and that doesn't really fit with the lore typically of elves but they're really good at it oh no 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 it totally does especially in 5e the swashbuckler to me that's the perfect elven rogue that's interesting i always thought of them as a bit too jovial to be an elf i think you play as a haughty swashbuckler oh. right you are <laughs> disrespectful with your rakish audacity 
It's actually not rakish. It's foppish audacity, really. <laughs> you're it's, in no way admirable for what you're doing. Right. You're just annoying. You don't get my humor. Right. <laughs> I have keen comedic timing. Right. It appears that you can't hit me. <laughs> Elves also make great rangers. And, of course, you know, the ranger, at least in Tolkien, was originally created by melding that human perseverance for tracking down goblins with elvish training in the natural arts yeah and that totally fits their primeval ties as well also monks are good for elves their dedication to arts and and to a craft kind of fits in that very disciplined approach even though monks are kind of typically more lawful associated an elf who's okay with being an ascetic that makes a lot of sense yeah you know you're basically meditating every day when you trance anyway exactly and then of course the wizard and depending on edition, there are a variety of wizard types that fit the elves. Bladesinger, of course. Sword Mage makes a lot of sense. If wizardry and magic is something that takes years and years to master, then you'd think the best ones would be the people who are 700 years old. Right. I mean, you're going to have to learn how to use that sword. You might as well fight with it till the end. <laughs> and elves also make really good bards. They don't have a charisma bonus, but bards always need a good dexterity as well. Yeah, I think that one fits a little worse. I think elves all have that kind of knowledge. So the bard represents seeking that knowledge. So I think it depends on how you view the bard. If you view him as a performer or if you view him as a walking encyclopedia. I think it can fit with the wanderer trope. Oh, yeah. Okay. The lonely elf. All elves are lonely. We all elf alone. So no matter what class you're playing, in combat... Your elf is almost always going to be dexterity-based. Agile and mobile. You mentioned swashbuckler. They're probably going to be in front as some sort of spotter or scout because they've got those keen senses. And culturally, they're probably comfortable working alone, especially if the rest of the party aren't elves. Yeah, I think the only exception is going to be the elven archer, which is definitely one of the archetypes for an elf, is that they're, they're fine outdoorsmen, they're fine woodsmen, so he doesn't have to get up and mix it up in close combat because he'll just shoot you with his bow. From a sniper's nest, a thousand yards away. Right. <laughs> With his keen eyesight. <laughs> Skill-wise, you're basically a consummate rogue. <laughs> With all of the dex bonus that you'll have, and then with the variety of sub-races for elf, you can probably pick up a good starting point for just about any other skills you'd be interested in. And then for magic, we talked about it a little bit earlier. When you have innate magic, you don't really see the world as magic. <laughs> right? You see you see that type of thing is just the way the world works right it's not bardic inspiration i'm just talking right <laughs> this is my voice <laughs> and likewise you know the way that a, a human wizard might study ancient tomes forever an elf might just practice a little bit he has a spell book to remember how to do the perfect twist of his wand but he doesn't need to study it for years and years to learn how to do it to become infused with it he just casually does it as he practices when I'm playing enough, I like to try to remember that magic is not something that is otherworldly or unfamiliar to the elf. For lack of a better term, it's natural. It's normal. Sure, you can do amazing things with it. But to an elf, magic is basically chemistry. It's like a tool. Yeah, yeah you just need to understand it. But right. there doesn't need to be any awe. Exactly. Elves also have some cool magic items that sort of fit them as a race. Yeah, not nearly as many as the dwarves have. Well, uh, they don't make as many magic right. items as the dwarves. <laughs> I don't really need them. Yeah. These aren't magic items. These are clothes. These are called items. There's <laughs> <laughs> the boots and cloak of elven kind. And those will help you with stealth. The elven chain shirt, which isn't as awesome as it was in previous editions because you used to be able to cast in it. Yeah. But now you can just do that with any armor you're provisioned with. Right. The oath bow is cool. It isn't specifically elven. Yeah, it's elven. <laughs> it's a grudge-wielding bow. Yeah, it's yeah, elven. It's, okay. it's, yeah, it's got grudges. <laughs> Speaks elvish. If it was an axe, it'd definitely be a dwarf. Right. <laughs> and then we should mention the sunblade, which is a long sword, but it has the finesse property. So it's really the only one of these that an elf can use well. Right. Yeah, I like the sunblade, too, as an elf thing, because in addition to their sort of rivalry with orcs, there's also the dichotomy of the drow and the elves drow are weak in daylight and the sun blade emits light and that must be very uncomfortable to their drow rivals it's also a lightsaber it's a lightsaber yeah. and on that bombshell <laughs> <laughs> do you hear that Ishan? uh it must be the sound of my father cutting off my hand 
All right, we're going to get that patched up, but we've got to move on to the Character Creation Forge first. And before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can't fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And last but not least, you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. So this week we promised you a wild runner. This was one of those 3.5 prestige classes that just made up entirely new class features so that you could play a non-standard archetype. And in this case, it's an elven barbarian. Yeah, it doesn't make sense for an elf to be a barbarian because they're a strength and constitution based class. <laughs> but people wanted to play an elven barbarian, so, so prestige here's your class. prestige class, yeah. <laughs> it had an ability called Primal Scream, which basically was rage. Right, yeah. <laughs> It got faster, it let you pounce, it let you travel through wooded areas well and hide. So it was like Barbarian Ranger. Yeah, which is a lot how it's going to look in 5e too. (laughs) Yeah, one of my favorite things about 5e is that any character can be any kind of archetype. You're not really going to suffer. So while we're about to present to you a strength-based elf, it's still going to be a very effective class. Yeah. So what's the build? Totem Barbarian 12, Assassin Rogue 7, Ranger 1. All right, so you got the Barb Ranger in there. Yeah, and the Barb Rogue, which is something that we don't do a lot of, but I think we really like. Yeah, I think that's a really great, because you get that natural synergy of Reckless Attack and Sneak Attack. Yeah. Because you can grant yourself (laughs) advantage on attacks. It's awesome. So race is obviously going to be Wood Elf. And you're going to go high strength, high con. Yeah, you'll just take your dex bonus, let that boost your AC, and keep going. (laughs) Yeah, so you're going to be a high AC barb. I would use a wooden or a hide shield. Wait a minute, what? (laughs) (laughs) Why wouldn't you use a two-handed weapon? Finesse. Oh. Sneak attack. That's right. Yeah. So there's a ton of synergy here. Like you said, reckless attack lets you potentially sneak attack on every one of your hits. I mean, you can't actually write once per turn, but any attack you're making on your turn is going to qualify for sneak attack. But it does mean you need to use a finesse weapon. The best one is a rapier, which isn't very barbarian, but it totally is elfy. It is pretty elfy. Yeah, I would call it a thin blade and just go with it. Yeah, if you want to go for more flavor over function, you would take a short sword. Yeah, which is totally fine it's only giving up like one point of damage on average yeah you're not getting most of your damage from the base yeah Yeah. your damage is not coming from your weapon (laughs) you've got high ac you've got bear totem at level three and you've got uncanny dodge from rogue which will help you prevent a bunch of damage which is good because attacks against you have advantage because you're always going to be reckless attacking yeah and you can take the tiger totem at higher levels of barbarian from the sword coast adventures guide and get your pounce that only happens at level 14. That is terrible. However, you could take Rogue to 5 and then get Pounce. It's perfectly good. Okay. Danger Sense from Barbarian gives you advantage on your deck saving throws, and Evasion from Rogue kicks in on success. So that's great. You don't have a lot of room for feats because you need to boost your strength, you need to boost your con, and Wisdom is also good too. But if you can squeeze one in, Resilient Con is really nice because at your 11th level of Barbarian, you're going to get Relentless Rage, which lets you make those constitution saving throws to not drop to zero hit points right and then of course you're going to get four expertises (laughs) from rogue which (laughs) is how you're going to fill out all of the wilderness abilities that you're thinking of as a elf in the woods yeah you'll be great at them from ranger one you're going to get tracking but those expertises are going to make you a superb guide a wilderness dweller or just an excellent hunter yeah so you're perception survival stealth those types of things are just going to fit in naturally yeah so tell me about your wild runner oh tarzan ah okay yeah tarzan's an elf you think huh yeah raised away from the other elves and then you can just get rid of all that culture stuff oh okay so he was separated from she was separated feral elf Uh, okay pretty angry because you know didn't have those 50 years of talking out feelings. Yeah. (laughs) While learning to play the harpsichord. Right. (laughs) Short sword and teeth. I could buy that. How about your wild runner? I think my wild runner started as an elven ranger. Hmm. Was learning those type of ranger rogue skills and didn't have the discipline because, you know, not all elves do. Yeah. 
So rather than learn it the structured elven approved way, he kind of set off on his own and embraced the wilderness, learned from the animals in the forest, and became a barbarian. (laughs) And then he kind of circled back and grew to master some of the skills that he had initially been taught. See, I think this works really well with Totem Barbarian. Something we don't talk about a lot is that they get speak with animals as a ritual. Yeah. So your barbarian actually could learn from the animals. Right, yeah. (laughs) Come over here, big brown bear. (laughs) Teach me the ways of ignoring pain. You eat ants? You can actually have a friend named Baloo. (laughs) I like Shere Khan. He seems trustworthy. Uh, Yeah, but it's the bare necessities of life. I'm going to hang out with King Louis. He has this thing called fire. (laughs) All right. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to vote for us for the Ennies. This is the last day to do it, and I ha- I'm contractually obligated to beg you some more. Yeah, I'm paying him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not enough. That's any-awards.com, or follow the link in the show notes. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, if you're willing to do that, we will read your five-star review on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. And we are now on Google Play, which I have found out you can actually find us on. (laughs) You can now search within Google Play to find podcasts. Hey! So it's not just through Google Search anymore. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? Well, next week is episode 52, which means we've actually made it an entire year doing this show. We made it a year. We haven't pod faded. (laughs) So in honor of our anniversary, we're going to have a very special surprise episode. Well, that sounds ominous. It is. Yeah. (laughs) Beware! Run away! (laughs) All right, that's it for episode 51 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. It's not my fault that Tolkien is just skull-f***ing elves constantly. It's true. Yeah. They're perfect. All right, shall we? Um, It's an entire race of Lancelots. That is... That's Tolkien elves. No, Galahad was perfect in every way. Well, Lancelots, because they're perfect in every way, but they have one flaw. What, that they're dying now? Hubris, essentially. <laughs> oh. <laughs> right. They know that they're perfect. Mm. Yeah, but... Yeah. So they, they always themselves over. Wait, Lancelot knew that he was the best, not that he was perfect. Well, sure, the best. They're the best. You know, like, from a human perspective, they're perfect. They're taller, stronger, better looking, Played smarter. by Liv Tyler. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Paltrow. Kate Blanchett. Oh, Kate Blanchett. That's right. <laughs> Whatever. What's the difference? I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow's minus two con. Why? In in real life. Why did she get? She she seems very frail. Oh, all right. I thought there was like something where Gwyneth Paltrow frequently has like cancer. She's cancer. <laughs> I was gonna go with like tonsillitis or something, but yeah, sure, <laughs> cancer. All right. This has been Paltrow talk. <laughs> but for us, you got to get a little closer to your mic. You're coming in low. I'm coming in hot. Test, test. Yeah, that's better. Yeah. All right, ready? Mm-hmm.